All right, what's up, Hills College? Hey, my name is Garrett. If you don't know me, I'm super excited to be here with you guys tonight. It's going to be a good night. Y'all ready? Awesome. Well, I want to talk about something that we face, we all face every day, whether we're black, white, male, female, young or old. This is something that we all struggle with, that we all can fall into this temptation. And this thing is not, in particular, it's very, not very fun. It causes a lot of mental, emotional, even physical damage to our life, and it creeps in so easily. It's a universal struggle. We all do it so much, and that is worry. Sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. And we all in here, we face it every day. There's, there's so many things that we can be worried about. You can worry about the next semester of school, whether you're going to fit in. How are you going to be away from your parents for the first time? Or if you're going to make new friends, are you going to do well in class? You can be worried about if you're going to make enough money for next month's rent. You can worry about financial things. Guys, you can be scared about asking that girl out, worried about will she say yes, will she reject me? You just need to send it. That's my advice. Just do it. Maybe you're worried about an addiction that you're stuck in. You're worried, will I ever break free of this stronghold in my life? Girls, maybe one day you're all going to be mothers one day. And I've learned the past few months that sometimes girls' minds don't turn off. And your mind can be crippled by the worry over the well-being of your children, the future, what the future holds for them. Maybe you're worried about that health report you got or the health report of that family member. You're worried about will they make it through? What will happen if they die? What about this? What about that? Maybe some of us in here are worried about our perception of that we, we're, how we're perceived by others. And the truth is, is that this doesn't get much easier. We live in a fallen, broken world, and there's always something that we can be worried about. And if you're struggling with worry right now, like, you know this is not fun. You know, when we get up here and we preach against sin, like, sometimes we've got to do a little bit of convincing. Like, if I were to get up here and talk about jealousy, I would say, you shouldn't sin with jealousy because of this, this, this. There's these consequences. This is why you shouldn't do it. But worry is different. If you're struggling with it, it's not going to take much convincing from me to get you to stop because you know how burdensome it is, the weight that it carries. The truth is, is that worry, it plagues our mind. It wreaks havoc on our emotional state. It even affects us physically. Dr. Mayo, who found the, the, founded the Mayo Clinic, he's a brilliant medical mind, he says, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system, and profoundly affects the heart. He said, I've never known a man who died from overwork, but many who have died from worry. That's crazy. So when people say, you're going to worry yourself to death, they mean that uh, metaphorically, and quite literally, physically, you're literally killing yourself when you are plagued by worry. Dr. John MacArthur says the said, English term worry comes from an old German word meaning to strangle or choke. This is exactly what worry does. It's a kind of mental and emotional strangulation which probably causes more mental and physical afflictions than any other cause. You're literally killing yourself mentally emotionally, and physically. And look, y'all, I know this is not easy. I know that there's many things in your life that you need to be concerned about. Jesus is not telling us tonight to live a carefree, lollygag around and do nothing 
Absolutely not. Jesus calls us to work hard, plan well, save, and care about the things that he's entrusted us with. But concern and worry are two different things. Well, you might say, Garrett, I don't worry. I'm just concerned. But here's the difference. You can turn off concern, but you can't turn off worry. When something concerns you, you don't have a huge emotional response. You can very clearly and very rationally think about that thing. You can turn that thought on and off like a light switch. Let's say, for instance, I have, some, I have a report due at work tomorrow. If it's a concern, I can say, oh, I got that report due tomorrow. I, am, I, need, to, I need to do this and this and that, um, and I need to make sure I do that. All right, I'll get that done tomorrow. I turn that thought on and off like a light switch. But worry is different. Worry is in control. You can't turn off worry. A concern becomes worry when there's a huge emotional response. You are chasing down every single thought, down every single rabbit hole. It manifests itself physically. You get migraines, stomach ulcers. You can't sleep at night. A concern becomes worry when it's in control. It has your mind, and you can't turn it off. The worry decides what's going to happen next, not you. And remember, it's killing you. I want to look at a story from the Old Testament before we dive into the main text we're going to explore tonight. But this shows, this text in the Old Testament shows that a life free of worry is possible and that we can have the same thing. So tonight's message is titled, Invitation to Peace. So the Old Testament story we're going to explore is found in the book of 2 Samuel. It's a story about King David, the beloved king of Israel. He was the, the greatest king of Israel. His, he was uh, King Solomon's dad, but he also had another son named Absalom. And Absalom, this is a pretty crazy story, Absalom kills his half-brother because his half-brother raped Absalom's sister. I know, it's some real-life Jerry Springer stuff going down here. <laughs> but uh, Absalom killed his half-brother, and he fled from Israel because he was scared of the punishments that were going to come to him. So he was out of Israel, but King, it broke Dave, King David's heart, actually. So King David was like, I want to be reconciled with my son, Absalom. So three years later, he comes back to Jerusalem, back, comes back to Israel, and he's reconciled with King David. But despite all the grace and all the forgiveness that King David showed Absalom, Absalom still wanted the throne. He wanted to rule Israel. And Scripture tells us that, that uh, Absalom was a very handsome, charming man. He had a lot of charisma, and through his lies and cunning talk, he actually turned the hearts of the people of Israel against King David. And the people of Israel wanted Absalom to rule. So David's, uh, David's loyal men, hearing all this, says, they say, hey, David, you need to get out of here, man. Absalom, he's coming to kill you. He's coming for your throne. So King David and a few loyal men, they, they flee uh, Jerusalem. They're, they're, they're sleeping in caves. They're, they're wandering the desert. They're, just, they're fleeing from, that, from the armies of Absalom. But what's crazy, in all this turmoil, King David writes Psalms 3 and 4. Probably in a cold, dark cave somewhere, King David writes and prays these words. In Psalms 3, verses 5 through 6, he says, I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety. For the Lord was watching over me. I am not afraid of the ten thousands of enemies who surround me on every side. 
Then in Psalms 4, verses 6 through 8, he writes, Many people say, who will show us better times? Let your face smile upon us, O Lord. You have given me a greater joy than those who have abundant harvest of grain and new wine. In peace I will lie down, and for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. Wow. That's crazy. So how is it that King David, in the midst of utter chaos, his son trying to find him and kill him, the people of Israel has turned their backs on him, he's probably sleeping in a cold, dark cave somewhere, how can he write those words, I am not afraid of the 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, will keep me safe. That's incredible that he can write those words in his circumstance. And you know why he could write those words? It's because he has accepted God's invitation to peace. King David put God first in everything he did. Though he was not a perfect man, he was a man after God's own heart. He had the confidence in his God. He knew that God had come through for him in the past, and he would do it again. And if you keep on reading, he did come through. King David's men defeated Absalom and his armies, and King David regains the thrones and the hearts of Israel. But in the midst of mayhem and and chaos, David says, no need to worry. I know who my God is. I know my God's got my back. I don't need to worry. Now, I don't know where you are in life, and I'm sure none of you are being actively chased down by your son who's trying to kill you. I'm sure most of you have a warm bed to sleep in tonight. You're probably not sleeping on a cold, dark cave floor. But those were King David's circumstances. But he could sleep well. He had a deep, unshakable peace in his God, and that's the same God that we serve today. So how do we have that peace? How do we have that confidence in our God? How do we break free the bonds of worry in our life, which is, by the way, is killing you? How do we accept God's invitation to peace? We live by what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6. And this passage uh, uh, dives headfirst into the topic of worry. I've preached on anxiety before. I believe worry is the root of anxiety. But we're going to dive in to the heart of it, worry. And before we dive in, I want to set one thing straight. When I say this, I say this with so much grace. God has so much grace and forgiveness for you. I'm not meaning to bring any guilt or unwanted shame onto onto you. Tonight's message should be encouraging. It's saying you have no need to worry, my friend. But in 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 the scripture we're about to read, Jesus says three times, do not worry. In verse 25, he says, do not worry about your life. Verse 31, he says, so do not worry. Verse 34, he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Jesus is telling us here tonight at the Hills College to stop it. Look to your neighbor right now and say, stop it. And look, they can't get mad at you because you're just quoting Jesus. Amen? (laughs) I got that from uh, Dr. Tony Evans. I actually use a lot of his stuff in this message. So shout out. Dr. Evans, um, but Jesus commands us three times in this passage, do not worry. And this is not a suggestion, it's a command. And if Jesus commands us to stop doing something and we keep on doing it, that is a sin. 
It's cool, the same uh, Greek words for do not commit adultery or do not steal or do not murder are used here for do not worry. So when we worry, we are sinning against God. We're saying, God, I've got this, while our life is chaos. We're saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust that you're a loving heavenly father. We're not saying that directly. We're not looking up to heaven, cursing God, saying, I don't trust you. But just the action of worry is saying those things. And you might be thinking, well, Garrett, I didn't know worry was a sin. That makes me feel bad. Again, I say this not trying to bring you guilt or shame. Again, the message tonight is you have no need to worry. You might be thinking, oh, Garrett, I just, I can't help but worry. It's in my genes. It's in my DNA. Well, God wouldn't intentionally make you to sin. But let me, per, maybe, let me further prove the point by some quotes. So you have to use quotes because I don't have a lot of experience under my belt. So I have to use some more experienced people to further my point. Reverend Billy Graham, he says, if we trust in our worry more than we trust in God, we are sinning because of our lack of faith in God. Francis Chan says, worry implies that we don't quite trust that God is big enough. Our, our local pastor, Pastor Ken, beloved Pastor Ken, he says, worry is just stupid. <laughs> it shows your lack of faith. This one's pretty funny too. Pastor Kevin DeYoung says, is there a sin nice middle class Christians commit more than the sin of worry? Oof. Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren says, worry is just a form of atheism. Every time you worry, you're acting like an atheist. You're saying, God, I don't trust you and I don't depend on you. T.D. Jake says, stress and worry is a residual of relying on yourself and being your own God in control of everything. Another quote from MacArthur, he says, Worry is the sin of distrusting the promise and providence of God, yet it's a sin that Christians commit perhaps more frequently than any other. And again, y'all, I know this is tough. I have to speak very, very carefully and very tenderly on this topic. I'm not meaning to bring any unwanted guilt. And I would say if you have a sort of emotional or mental disorder and you really can't help to worry. You can help it, but, but there's, a, there's a disorder there. I would say, please, go to therapy. Go to a good biblical counselor. It, that will change the course of your life. It has for me. But it's so easy to fall into, and we do it so frequently. Dr. Tony Evans says, worry is a lifestyle. It becomes a habit. We, we train our brains to do it. It's a lifestyle, but we are sinning against our Heavenly Father. So look to your neighbor right now and say, stop it. All right, so we're going to dive headfirst into Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses 25 through 34. That's the passage we'll be in tonight. So let's first dive into verses 25 through 30. Y'all ready? Let's do it. Verse 25 says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear is life no more than food and the body no more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? 
They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and galled tomorrow, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Mm, that's so good. Our first point tonight is look at the evidence of nature to increase your trust. And the truth is, is that we seldom go outside and just look at the, the beauty and the harmony of nature. I, I'm guilty of that. I want to do it more. But Jesus is telling us here, he says, go look. Look. Look at the birds of the sky. He's telling us that, that the birds in the sky, they do not reap or store away in barns, meaning they don't bust their tails working two jobs, working overtime, trying to store away for the future. They have a dependency of God. They, they trust that God will provide for them, and God does provide for them. And Jesus asked us, are you not much more valuable than they? He's saying that I provide for even the smallest irrelevant cre creature. You, Bobby. You, Jamie. You, all of you in here, are you not much more valuable than the birds of the sky. He says, look at the flowers in the field. Jesus says they do not labor or spin. They don't, they don't bust their tails, storing up more and more clothes for the future. But Jesus says, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was dressed like one of these. Then he goes on to say, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and, and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus was telling us that even the tiniest, insignificant flowers are clothed in beauty. They're here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, yet God makes them beautiful and provides for them. He says, will, you not much more, will, will, I, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? You of little faith. Ooh, that kind of stings a little bit, right? See, this text is, is, is meant to convict, but it's also meant to encourage Jesus is saying, you have no need to worry, my child. You have no need. I, I love you. I will provide for your needs. Why do you not trust me? Why do you not rest in the fact that I have you in the palm of my hand? Jesus is saying, look. Look at the birds. I provide for them. Look at the lilies in the field. I clothe them. You have no need to worry. I love you so much for, more than the birds. You have so much more value than the flowers of the field, I got you. I will take care of your needs. Just trust in me. As we look to the evidence of nature, we can also look to the past. By the past, I mean scripture. I'm sure if the people of Israel were here tonight, they could testify of God's faithfulness. They could testify that they were let out of slavery in Egypt. They didn't know where their water was going to come from. They didn't know where their, their next meal was going to come from, but God provided for them. Scripture tells us that he, he rained down manna and food from heaven and gave them water, and they had food in their bellies and water to drink. God provided for his children. If the people of Israel were here tonight, they could tell you that you can trust in him. So you have no need to worry. Look to your neighbor and say, stop it. We have no reason, y'all. We serve a loving father who will provide for us, who will meet our needs he will turn your situation around for good. He'll be beside you in the deepest valley and the highest mountaintops. If he started a good work in you, he promises 
to finish it. So look at the evidence of nature. Look to the past to increase your trust in God. Dr. Tony Evans says, the level of your worry reveals the size of your faith. Ooh. I'm going to say that again. The level of your worry reveals the size of your faith. So ask yourself, do you have little faith? Or do you have that big faith that Brian preached about a couple weeks ago? Like, do you really believe that you can trust in God? Do you really believe that he will provide for you? Do you really believe that he loves you? Ask yourself those questions. Look to the evidence of nature. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Read in the past about how God has provided and made a way and your, your faith and your trust will increase. You have no need to worry. Verses 31 through 32 say, So do not worry, asking what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So our second point tonight is worry is the mark of unbelievers. Verse 32 says, the pagans run after these things. What Jesus was telling us is that the world, the unbelievers, are marked by worry. They spend their time busting their tails, working extra hours, working two jobs. They can't make it to church. They're never rested to provide for themselves and their families and to, and to get the luxuries in life. They are marked by the worries of will I ever have enough? Do I need to store more and more up for the future? Do I need to buy this to keep up with the Joneses? If I don't buy this, will I ever make it? If I lose everything, I need more and more and more. And this fuels the capitalist society that we live in. The question that, will I ever have enough? Will I ever be enough? The unbelievers spend their time, energy, efforts, draining themselves mentally, physically, and emotionally to answer that question. And Jesus says, not so with you. The pagans, the unbelievers are marked by those things. And it's because they have no one to trust in but themselves and but their efforts. And if you're an unbeliever in here tonight, I want to say we're so glad you're here. That God loves you. He's not done with you. The pathway to grace and forgiveness is still open for you. And we'll settle that at the end. But Jesus is telling us here tonight that the sin of worry has no place in the hearts and minds of the children of God. The sin of worry has no place in the hearts and minds of the children of God. He's telling us that we have a loving Father that we can lean on and rely on. A loving Father that promises us to provide for us. Worry should not even be in the picture. That's the mark of the unbelievers. But not so with you. And y'all, I know this is not easy. I'm not going to stand up here and act like it is. Everyone in here has legitimate things that they could worry about, but Jesus says, stop it. Look to your neighbor and say, stop it. We can trust in our Heavenly Father. An unshakable peace should be the mark of the children of God. Not worry, but unshakable peace. Verse 33 says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Our third point tonight is God, or excuse me, put God in his rightful place. This is all about your priorities. You know why we worry? It's because we don't put God first. We want to do things our way, and then we want God to bless it. 
Through our own selfishness, we've turned illegitimate wants into needs. And then we turn around and act like God's not good when he doesn't give us what, he want, what we want. And there ain't nothing wrong with, with wanting something, but we've confused the luxuries of life with the basic needs of life. And when we don't get our wants, we act like God's not hearing our prayers. But God only promises us to provide the things that we need. God wants to hear our wants, and he'll, he'll give us our wants according to his will, but God only promises us to provide the things we need. We've got to put God in his rightful place, y'all. Putting him first, making the kingdom of God a priority in your life. We've got to follow his word and his will for our life. We've got to make a priority of coming to church on Sunday and here on Thursday nights. If you don't make it a priority, you're not going to do it. Like tell your boss, go say, hey, Sunday mornings and Thursday evenings, I cannot work. Church is a priority in my life. And if, if they say no, then go find another job. There's plenty of them. There's plenty of jobs right now. But look at me, I promise you, God will honor that. I promise you that God will bless that. We've got to put God first in everything that we do, every thought, every action, every decision, every relationship, in our jobs, the way we work, the way we act around others, the way we talk, the way we conduct ourselves, the things we post on social media. We've got to get our priorities right, put them in line, and put God first. That verse says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That means when we put God first, God promises us to meet our basic needs. And again, God wants to hear our wants. Don't hear me saying that. But God's telling us, hey, when you put me first, I promise you will always have enough. You will have that unshakable peace. You'll have my providential hand open up onto your life. And when God says something, when he promises something, he will keep that promise. If you don't believe that God will provide, look to Scripture, to those who did put him first and see what happened. Look at the story of the disciples when they were supposed to feed the 5,000 men, not including the women and the children. And they were like, how in the world are we going to feed all these people? But a little boy with a few fish and a few loaves of bread put God first. He gave those things to Jesus, and he multiplied it and fed the 5,000. And that boy left with so many more fish and so many more baskets of bread. He left with so much more. Look at the widow of Zarephath, who she was literally making her last meal for her and her son. She was like, this is it. This is all I have. This is our last meal. We're going to die after this. But she put God first and gave Elijah that food, and God multiplied that food and gave her enough for the rest of her life. God's saying, go look. Look, about, look how I've been faithful to those who put me first. I promise I will always provide for you. You have no need to worry, my child. Look to your neighbor right now and say, stop it. Put God first and watch what he does. Verse 34 says, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
Our next point is fully live in today. Warren Wiersbe says it so well. He says, most Christians are crucified on a cross between two thieves. Yesterday's regrets and tomorrow's worries. When we look at the narrative of Scripture, God only promises us to provide for us today. Scripture tells us that his mercies are new every morning. That he will give us today our daily bread. Jesus tells us, I will provide for you today and I will meet you in tomorrow. But so often we're plagued by the worries of tomorrow that we're no good today. Jesus says in verse 34, each day has enough trouble of its own. Meaning there's already so much that needs to happen today. Why worry about tomorrow? Jesus is telling us that we need to wake up every day and say, God, will you strengthen me? Will you provide my needs? Will you help me today? We need to, we need to wake up every morning and lay everything before God's feet. Say, God, I give you everything today, my relationships, my job, my school, that health report, my circumstances, my, everything I lay before, you, before your feet. And say, God, I trust that you're with me in these circumstances. I trust that you will provide for me. Give me strength to not worry. And again, concern and planning are different than worry. Jesus is not telling us to, to not rightfully plan for things. He's, he, but he is saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the future. Don't, don't let those worries take over your mind where you can't shut them off. Don't be afraid of what the future holds. You are my child. I love you. I got you. Let's focus on today. Like for real, a practical step you can do is just take one to two minutes every day and lay everything before God. List out everything you're going to do today, all your circumstances, all your relationships before his feet. And I promise you, you'll have peace. Philippians 4 verses 6 through 7 say, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What this means is another command right here in verse 6, don't be anxious. What that means is when we bring everything before God, all of our, our prayers, our petitions, that means our asks, our wants, every situation, let your request be made known to God. And when we do that, we will have the peace that surpasses all understanding. The mental knowledge of, God, I know you're with me. I know you have me. I know that you, you're with me in every situation. That's the peace that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's a daily practice, y'all. Author Paul David Tripp says, defeating worry is about daily feeding your soul on the promises and the provisions of your heavenly Father. So let's focus on today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus will meet you there. Daily lay everything at his feet, and you'll defeat worry. It's cool. I got to sit down with, uh, with Brian's mom the other day, and they were translating for me. And we really don't have a, a, a perspective. I'm, I'm sure mostly everyone in here never worries about where their next meal is going to come from, if they'll have a roof over their head, they'll have clothes to wear. But I wanted to ask Brian's mom, because they're from Peru, and I was like, is God faithful? 
tell me how he's been faithful. And she just said that God's faithfulness is constant. He is a faithful God. We always had a roof over our head, food on our table, even though we didn't know where it was going to come from sometimes. And we always had clothes to wear. He, he, he provided for our basic needs in life. She said, I will always trust in God in every circumstance. So I don't know what you're going through in life right now. Maybe it's a bad health report for you or a loved one. Maybe it's cancer. And if you have been diagnosed with a disease or cancer, I hope people come around you and pray. hope that you pray for a miracle, and I hope that God shows up in a big way and heals you. But even if he does not, you should have that peace of God. I know you've got me. Even, even if this ends in death, I will be with you in heaven. It will be so much better than here on this earth to be with you in heaven. I have that peace no matter what happens. Even if I am healed or even if I'm not, I have that unshakable peace. Maybe a school coming up. Maybe you just graduated high school and you're, you're about to go off on your own and you're scared and you're anxious. Or maybe you're moving schools, you're transferring. You're scared about this next semester, worried about it, and your mind can just be filled with those worries. You need to come before God and say, I give this to you, God. Will you help me not to worry? Will you help me in today and meet me in tomorrow? Let's do it one day at a time. Or maybe you're in here and you're, you've got a big decision to make. I don't know what it might be, but you're afraid it might be the wrong decision and you're plagued by worry. What if this is the wrong decision? What if I miss God's will for my life? What if this causes my life to spiral? And you're plagued by worry and you cannot make a choice. You need to have that peace that says, God, I know you're with me. Even if this is the wrong decision, I know you will turn it for my good. Even if this is the wrong decision, I know you'll use it to teach me something, to grow me. God, I know that you'll never leave me and that you should have that peace. And maybe the one thing that, that you worry about is where you'll spend eternity. See, Scripture tells us that we all have fallen short of the glory of God, meaning that we have all sinned against our Heavenly Father. And that sin, it separates us. Scripture says that the wages of sin are death, not just an earthly death, but an eternal death. An eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. And I love you not enough to tell you that. But that broke God's heart that he could not be in relationship with his creation so he sent Jesus onto this earth, all God and all man. He lived a sinless life before miracles. He healed the sick. He did, a, he did so many great things. But he was put on a cross. He wasn't a victim. He was a volunteer. He wanted to go to the cross because he's the manifestation of love. And on the cross, God put all his wrath, his judgment for our sins, your sins and my sins, onto Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ bore that punishment for us. It should have been us on that cross. He took our place, took on the full wrath of God for us. He was put in a tomb, but three days later, he rose again. And he's the only way that sinful man can be reconciled with holy God. He's the only way. 
He's saying, come to me, child. Come back to me. You have no need to worry. If you want to say that prayer, we're going to say a prayer in a second. And this prayer is not a, not a magical prayer, not a get your free ticket into heaven prayer. But this is a prayer where, you, where, where you're surrendering your life to God, saying, God, I, I know I can't do it on my own. I know I can't make it to heaven with my good works, my good deeds. You're saying, God, I surrender to you and I trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and that you turn from your old sinful ways and you follow him. If you want to say that prayer tonight, y'all bow your heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, I know that I'm a sinful person. Say something like this in your, in your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinful person. I know that my sin separates me from you, God. But God, I accept the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as payment for my sins. I surrender knowing that he's the only way I can be made right with you, God. He's the only way I can make it into heaven. God, I promise to follow you the rest of the days of my life, to turn from my old sinful ways. Will you come into my life tonight? And all heads bowed, all eyes closed, I want to pray for you. One more time. Heavenly Father, Lord, I know that we all in here, we struggle with this, this thing called worry. It plagues our minds, our emotions, even greatly affects us physically, God. And you're telling us tonight to stop it. Lord, I pray that we would all realize in this room that we have no need to worry, that you're a loving Father. You will provide for us. You will be with us in every situation in every circumstance. So God, help us every single day to lay that worry at your feet and leave it there. Even if we have to do it 25 times a day, help us to lay our worries, our concerns, our situations at your feet every day. And I pray that there would be a peace that surpasses all understanding over all these people in here tonight. God, we love you. We praise you. Thank you so much.